In a hundred miler, I experienced that. The I love life. I hate life. I'm sick. I feel great. I want to die. How can I kill myself? How can I love on everyone? Oh my gosh, this is the best thing in the world. Why am I doing this? Like you go through the whole entire lifespan of, of yourself and you still come out of it. And there's something just so precious about coming out on the other end and realizing, wow, we can do things that we really didn't know. You're listening to the Run the Riot podcast, where we talk about all things ultra running. I'm your host, David Terrio, and man, I'm pumped that you are here. Let's see what we can get into today. Hey there, my friends. Thank you for tuning in to the Run the Riot podcast. This week, we're going to be talking with Dr. Amy Novotny. The story about Amy, as you'll hear, is she pretty much hated running <laughs> like a lot of you started out hating hating running uh until she didn't uh she developed a love for the marathon and she discovered her love for the trails and she since run 40 plus marathons done an ironman done 10 ultras and 200 milers uh one of the unique things about about Amy is she is the founder of the PABR Institute, where she helps people um, as a breathing and pain specialist. Uh, we had a great conversation here just about running, about her life, and about how the nervous system and how uh, calming it and resetting it can provide many benefits to runners and people in general. And that's what she does. She helps people to do that. And uh, so really interesting conversation. I think this is a really cool tool to put in your tool belt. Speaking of things to put in your tool belt as an athlete and an ultra runner, uh, I want to tell you about Pure Tiva. Pure Tiva is a CBD that's bioavailable. It's made in the USA. Uh, it's got a, a scientific delivery system, and I can just tell you that it works. I take the Tiva tabs uh, before I go to bed. I wake up feeling so much more rested. Um, the main thing that's just amazing, uh, well, actually, two of the things are the roll-on, a uh, 1,000 milligrams of broad-spectrum CBD on the roll-on. You shake that thing up, and it's got magnesium and a great delivery system. You put it on the area of uh, the muscle that's sore or hurting, and, uh, man, it, it has speeded up recovery uh, for me in a lot of different areas. If I have something that you know feels like it's about to be uh, an issue, uh, I put that on there. And there's also a cream that works great. Uh, you can check that out at tiva.terio or dot the riot dot run so t-i-v-a dot the riot dot run um and check it out and we are also brought to you by the full moon 50k but there's not only a 50k there's a 25k and a 50 miler uh it is saturday july 16th and 17th in perryville arkansas in fact it's the same start finish as arkansas traveler uh, you can find out more information at fullmoon50k.com and proceeds from this race as well as all donations go to the Arkansas Ultra Running Cross Country Fund and the Logan Wilcoxon Memorial Fund. Uh, these funds, the, uh, the Ultra Running Cross Country Fund, uh, goes just to help fund cross country teams in low income areas and the Logan Wilcoxon Memorial Fund uh, goes, it benefits the Arkansas chapter of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. So uh, check it out and if you use the code rtr two zero that stands for Run the Riot 2021, you get a 10% discount. So go to fullmoon50k.com and we'll see you there because we will be there running that race. We are also brought to you by the Outlaw Race Series. Great races put on by great people, uh, you know, for ultra runners, by ultra runners. Uh, there's the Flat Rock in Independence, Kansas, Lake McMurtry Run in Stillwater. I'll be there running that sucker this year. There's the new Greater Roadrunner Trail Run at Roman Nose State Park in Watonga. Uh, the Flower Moon in Pawhuska in May. I'll be there doing the 50 miler. Uh, Dark and Dirty in Wilburton and the Thunderbird in Norman in November and the Outlaw 100 in February. And that has distances from 135 miles all the way down to the 5K. If you haven't checked it out, check it out. Go to www.outlaw100.com. And we're also brought to you by Exoskin. You know I love the stuff. I wear the Exo Toes to keep my feet happy. These are also made in the USA. And uh, they're shorts, man. Keep you from, from chafing. It's good stuff. Chafing, bad. Shorts without chafing, good. So check it out. Uh, they also have regular socks, uh, calf sleeves, arm sleeves, shorts, tights, shirts, and even the new Exo underwear liners. Go to www.exoskin.us and use the code RUNTHERIOT, R-U-N-T-H-E-R-I-O-T. Get a discount. 
And uh, last but certainly not least, Runner's World Tulsa. Check them out. They are awesome. If you're coming through Tulsa, you got to stop at Runner's World Tulsa. If you live in the area, you probably shop there already. You need to. Um, they've got everything you need for running from, from food, uh, calories, electrolytes, packs, shoes, um, like I said, even an altitude tent. If you're going racing in Colorado and you need to do some training, you can get some time in an altitude tent that's over a treadmill. Pretty awesome. Check out my friends there at Runner's World. You can also go to www.runnersworldtulsa.com and you can see their races and all that they've got going on. All right, well, let's get started with the show. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Amy Novotny. Well, Amy, how's it going? I'm doing well, David. Thanks for having me on today. It's great to be here. Hey, thanks so much for for joining me on the podcast. And, um, you know, it's always interesting. I, I love our sport because you find people from so many backgrounds, people that do so many different things. And I guess I should have inter- you know, introduced you or started talking to you as, uh, I don't know, Dr. Amy and Dr. Devotney. <laughs> I have my doctorate, but you don't, you can call me Amy. It's okay. Fine. Okay. I noticed that in the emails because some people make sure and they put the doctor in there, but you just put, you know, you just put your name. So yeah. yeah, but you did earn it, you know? So yeah, I did. And what's funny is I actually didn't use it for a long period of time. And I went years before I started using it. And when I started my own business, people said, you need to use it because people need to realize, you know what you're talking about and it gives yeah. you legitimacy. So when I started using it, everyone started asking, when did you get your doctorate? <laughs> got it. It's like been having it, you know, just yeah. talk, had it in my pocket. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, so let's let's start from the beginning. Let's let's get to let's get to know uh, Dr. Amy. Um, so so where you're you're in Arizona, am I right? Right. So I'm I've been based out of Arizona for 30 some years, and I'm currently traveling around the country a little bit, kind of discovering new places, but um, I have been based out of Arizona for a long time. Okay. All right. So, um, where are you from originally? Are you from Iowa originally, but I moved to Arizona when I was four. So, okay. I got you. Yeah. Got you. So yeah, basically Arizonian. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So did you run in school? Did you start, you know, did you do sports in school or anything like that? I hated running. <laughs> hated I, hear, I hear that a lot from ultra runners that used to hate it. Okay. Yeah, I was I was really fast at sprinting. I used to beat out all the boys in elementary school and I played every sport you can imagine. Basketball, soccer, I did tennis for a long time, okay. swimming, all these things, but I was not a track person. I did not want to look at even cross country because I couldn't figure out why would anyone want to run when you could actually play a sport and move around and hit a ball or yeah, I was not a runner. Uh, that it's, I don't know. It, it's pretty crazy. I, I wasn't a runner either. I hated it too. I mean, I, I didn't care for, I, I wrestled, you know, and, and now I run ridiculously long distances. So it's, it's weird. So it's, I don't know. <laughs> um, so you, uh, what, uh, you went to school, you didn't, you did all these sports and stuff. Did you, did you do, you know, sports in college or anything? No, I didn't. I went the academic route. I wanted to get college paid for, came from a background where I didn't have any parental support for going to college. So it was either get your own um, scholarships or get, you know, do a job. And I did both. And so my focus was on academics and I taught tennis and I worked at a tennis facility. So that was kind of my sporting outlet in college. Oh, that's cool. So what'd you go to uh, college for? Um, for undergraduate Arizona state, I did biology and French majors and math and Spanish minors. And then I got my doctorate in physical therapy. Oh, tu parles un peu français? I forgot more than I remember. I, I, we took it in South Louisiana. We took it all through, uh, every year just about, and I used to speak it very well, but not anymore. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, no, that's, that's, that's pretty awesome. So, um, Wow. So why did you do, what made you do French and, and the foreign, you know, doing some of the foreign language routes along with it, with uh, your other studies? Yeah. So in Arizona, 
if you know Spanish, it's really going to help you. So I started that in seventh grade. I was like, you know what? I want to learn as many languages as I can. I just, I love the idea of traveling to somewhere else. Mm -hmm. I love the idea of cultures that are different than mine. So I was in, I think it was ninth grade. I had an opportunity to, I had an extra spot in my schedule because I decided not to do the tennis team in middle school. And, or I guess it was middle school, it was junior high, but even though it's a high school grade, and so I decided to take French. So the remaining, those four years that I'd left, I did French and Spanish together and I just loved it. So I kept going. That, that's awesome. No, that's cool. That, I, I wish I knew more, you know, every now and then I, I start brushing up on my French and listening to French podcasts and stuff. And, and then, you know, I get busy with life, but uh, I, I, I don't know, wish I knew more, more languages and, you know, just makes you a little more round. I do know some Greek, you know, so some, some, uh, biblical greek and nothing i can use right now to talk to anybody or communicate with anybody but (laughs) Uh, so um yeah so school you did school and when when did you start running again when did this happen so when i was i had just finished grad school and i was starting started my first job and i didn't have to start until 10 o'clock three days a week and when I went and, you know, I was like, okay, what am I going to do until 10 o'clock? And I just graduated. I didn't have any money. So all I had was for some, for some reason was a treadmill and a TV in my living room. Nice. And I was really fascinated by the biggest loser show. So I started getting on the treadmill and walking while I watched that show. Cause I didn't have a sofa or anything like that. And I just got into a rhythm. So I'd watch that and I'd run for an hour. It took a while, but I got up to running an hour on the treadmill And that was in 2009 and I still wasn't really interested in it. I was just doing it for fitness and it kept me preoccupied. And then finally in early 2011, I said, okay, you know what? Time to see if I can run like a half marathon. And so I did my first half marathon in January, 2011. Nice. That's, that's an interesting story that just watching the biggest Mm -hmm. loser and say, Hey, well, I can't watch this sitting down, I guess (laughs) just move. No, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. So you did the half marathon. How did, how did that go? How did, how did it feel? It felt, I hated every bit of it. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't stand it one bit. Okay. And, um, I remember because I was used to running by myself, I was on a treadmill in in my home and here I was in this race with 20,000 other people. I felt so claustrophobic. I felt this pressure to run faster because the wave of the crowd was going faster and I was tripping over people. And I really, I hated every bit of it. And I remember around mile 10, I was running and there was this older gentleman, probably in his late sixties, overweight. And he ran by me. And at that point, they still put your age on your calf. Yeah. And so I saw that it was in his late sixties. I was like, oh my gosh, seriously, like truly <laughs> the guy is passing me up. And here I am whining in my late twenties. Yeah. Like, oh, I need to get with it here. So I finished the race and my friends met me at the finish line. They gave me a dozen sugar cookies, which I ate and I had bananas and yogurt. I had all these different things. And a couple of days later, um, my, that same friend called me up and she's like, I have a favor for you. And I'm like, okay, what? She's like, well, I can't tell you. I just need to, you to say yes. I'm like, I don't do that, Karen. I'm a person <laughs> of my word. Like that is the one thing I'm so strict about is if I tell you something, I'm going to show up, you know, unless yeah. I'm dead. <laughs> and she's like, I promise it won't be bad. Like, okay. Okay. You know, I'll try. I'll try whatever it is. What is it? And then she said, well, I signed you up for the San Diego marathon in six months. I need you to inspire my partner and she's going to do the half, but I signed you up for the full because I think you should do it. (laughs) (laughs) Your quote friend (laughs) just signed you up for a marathon. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, that was, that answered the next question about how did you, you know, progress. So for the half marathon, you, you basically trained on your treadmill. That was it. I mean, did you do some, I did some outdoors a little bit outdoors. I did like a 10 miler and 11 miler outdoors, but, um, but it wasn't that much. Most of my training at that point was just run on the treadmill and off we go. 
Yeah. So now, now you've got a marathon in a, in six months in San Diego. And so, you know, after you, I guess, loathe your friend for a little while, <laughs> a little while what, do you, what was your mindset? How did you, what did you do? Then it was like, oh shoot. Okay. I need to really figure out what I'm doing here. And yeah. so I just started reading a lot of articles. I started upping my training. So I got up to eight miles on the treadmill three times a week and then a long run on the weekend. And of course I adjusted that and, um, I, I made it work. Yeah. So when I eventually got to the point of race day, I had three goals. One finish the race. Of course, yeah. you know, everyone's yeah. talking yeah. about two. I wanted to beat five hours and three. I wanted to run the whole race without stopping. So those were my three goals and I finished, I didn't stop and I blew through my, my goal time and I got three fifty instead of five hours. So nice. That's it was legit. really excited because at that time, the qualifying time for Boston was a three forty for my age group. And I was like, Oh, awesome. All of a sudden, you know, you puff your chest out. You're like, okay, I, I'm going to be able to do this and I can get into Boston now. I just, I can't believe this. And of course, no, it took a while. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, well, how, how was this experience different from the half marathon, uh, you know, running? Was it, was it different or, or was it kind of more the same or did you your expectations maybe were a little more realistic, uh, in, in what to expect or how to go. Um, it went a lot better. I actually enjoyed myself for the marathon. And I remember when I was closing in on mile 22, 23, and I'm not a sugar person, but they had these otter pops there and I grabbed one, which gave me a huge sugar high. So when a lot of people are walking at that time, I was like, rocket fuel. <laughs> yes. Which was not great for sleeping that night, but it got me through the race. Nice. How did your body respond to it? Did you, did you, uh, were you sore? Were you hurting after, or did you recover pretty quickly? I recovered pretty quickly and I ran another marathon a month later. Um, I was sore though, because I didn't understand much as much about the body as I did in the later years when I learned how to calm down the nervous system and get out of pain. Yeah. At that point, I was able to calm myself down. But at those first few races, I didn't understand as much because at that time I was just experimenting. I hadn't come across nervous system work and how to calm your nervous system to alleviate pain and muscle tension and all these things that I do now. So I, I'd say I, you know, I walked the next day and I was fine, but it took a few days for me to feel normal. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely need to get into, uh, that, that the nervous system talk, because as we said, before we, we started recording, um, we deal with a lot of pain, but, but, but I want to share your story to make sure people, everybody knows kind of where you're coming from, because you didn't stop there. Uh, you, you did more marathons. In fact, I think your bio said you you've done 40 plus marathons, uh, as of now. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And you've done, you, 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 I don't want to say graduated, but you've also done, but you know, even, even further than that, you've done ultra marathons and you've completed a couple hundred milers. So, um, what, how, how, how did that progression go from doing, you did a marathon, you did another one, uh, a month later. And, uh, how did that progression go to, to start doing ultra marathons? So once I got into, okay, I can do multiple marathons and then, um, so that was in 2000. So June, 2011 was my first marathon. And then I spent 2012 just playing with marathons and just doing a little bit more, a little bit more. And then, um, in the early 2013, I had signed up for an Ironman later that year. And so I thought, why not try an ultra marathon? And I had just come back from was it goofy challenge in in, uh, um, Disney world. Yeah. And I'd done the back, back to back. I was like, okay, why not? Well, let's, let's sign up for a 50 K a couple of weeks from now. So I was like, okay, let's see if I can finish it. And I loved it. I love, cause I'm such a nature person. I yeah. love going up and down the mountains and I felt like it was a kid skipping and just playing. And I'm like, Oh, look at the cactus. Oh, look at, there's a coyote and <laughs> yeah. up and down the trails. So. That, was that your first kind of foray into, into trail running too? It was, yeah. it was, I had done like a little bit here or there, but I, that was the first trail race I'd ever done. Yeah. I, I, I agree a hundred percent. And, uh, most of my listeners too, man, when you, you know, and I went the same similar route did 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 all the marathons, but once I hit the trail, it's like, 
whoa, this is, you know, it's so different. In fact, I was sharing my wife this morning. I had a dream last night that I was running a race and I was, I was singing praise and worship music and running out during the race. And I, and like the miles were just clicking off and I wasn't even breathing hard. And anyway, it's the thing of dreams, man. What we do a lot of times is, you know, we got to remind, sometimes it's nightmare, but it's, sometimes it's, 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 it's beautiful. Yeah. And I think that first race and just playing, and I was actually, I had the flu too. So I was oh, really, wow. and decided to still run it. And yeah. fever, temperature and everything. And I still felt the high and I felt like I was playing out in nature. And I was just I was like, okay, this is for me. Yeah. How, much, how many trails can I get on and start running these? And I still like road running, but if you can get me on a trail, oh, I'm high as a kite. Yeah. I found, uh, I always find too, when I run on a trail, I, I do a, mo- a lot of my training. Most of my training is on roads. Uh, and a lot of people listening that, you know, you just have to do that and you get out on the trails on weekends, but, um, I find I recover so much quicker too, after running on, you know, dirt, even if it's just Rocky and Rudy and all that stuff, just for, you know, the impact is, is, I don't know, our bodies are made to run on that. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's nice because of course you have this uneven surface. So, it's not the repetitive motion that you would have on a flat surface. You are challenged. You're challenging your body and it causes your hips to shift and you you're moving side to side. And sometimes you're climbing, sometimes you're descending. It's just, it's our body loves variety and it provides that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so think about this, you went from, you know, when you started on a treadmill, which is about as rigid as you can, you know, about the same as you can, you know, and then now you're, you're exploring nature and and running mountains and trails. That's, that's, it's kind of a neat journey there. Absolutely. And you know, running takes you all over the world too, if you want it to. Yeah. So in your 40 marathons, where, where, where have, uh, We'll get back to the ultras in a second, but you said, you know, about taking you all over the world. Where, where have you gotten to run? Um, probably my most exotic place outside the U.S. is Greenland. Okay. I, did, I did a marathon there in 2018, and um, it's a very small local one. And I think my friend did the half, and then there was me. I don't know if there was any other English speakers. And it was so remote in southern Greenland in a little village. And so you're running up a fjord and going down the other side to the water where there's blue icebergs that reach up into the heavens. And then you run back up and then you go back down and then you go up another fjord and go down. And the local Greenlandic people were manning the aid stations. And of course you can't, I I don't know Greenlandic. So I, you know, you just hug them and it was the most beautiful experience. And I, you experience every single weather pattern possible during that race. I mean, everything because you are going up into the mountains, you're going down to the water and you got everything, sun, hail, fog, rain, a little bit of snow. I mean, I got it. And so it was not my fastest race. I will put that out there. Yeah. (laughs) But it was a cool experience. It was one of my favorites. So I would do it all over again tomorrow. How how awesome is that to go? And and the same thing with even ultra running, because I go to places I've never been before and and run them and experience them. And you get that, you know, you got to experience the, the place, the climate, the the people, you know, the, the culture and, and you're running with people. I don't know. It's kind of neat. You're not even speaking the same language, but there's that, there's that camaraderie, you know, there's that, Hey, we're all here doing this together. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. So, uh, so your journey, man, you, you're, you're, you're doing a 50 K you, you, you loved it. You discovered the trails and, um, and then you, you kept going. What, uh, how, how'd that progression go to get to hundred miles? So I was training. So I kind of took a, a break from running for after I did that 50 K I was like, okay, now I need to figure out how to ride 112 miles on a bike. And- oh yeah. Him. So I started focusing more on Ironman training. So I started that in April and June. And then I did the Ironman in November of 2013. How'd that go? And it went well. I w- my goal was 15 hours to beat my brother, and I got 1234. So I was nice. really happy at that time. I guess 
yeah, it was the first time I rode 112 miles on my bike and be eight hours. I got like 643. So I was, I was ecstatic. I mean, all my times were better than I expected. So I was really happy about that. And then, and I decided since I was trained to last for like 17 hours, why not five weeks later do the across the years race where you run for 24 hours and see how far I can go. Nice. And so that was technically my first 100 miles. So I went from 50 K to hundred miles and I made it like 102.88 miles on that one in 22 hours and 30 some minutes. So I'm really happy I did that. And that was monotonous. And that challenges your brain more than anything because you're going in circles and every four hours you change loops and you're just. Yeah. Across the years is on a track, right? It's kind of half track, half sidewalk, half something. Okay. Is it, is it, is that one? I don't remember. Is that, is that one a mile loop or something like that? Or, okay. Okay. So, so it's not quite the, uh, the high school track, but it's it's not much. (laughs) Right. There's a little gravel in portions of it. So the, yeah. the, the most looped course I've done, my first hundred miler was a 20 mile loop and it was in, you know, swamp and it was, in, so it was really cool. It was varied and stuff like that. I haven't done what my wife, my wife calls those are hamster wheel <laughs> races yet, but how was that mentally? I mean, this is your first hundred miler. This is the first time you're going to be moving on your feet for that long. And yeah, you're, 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 you're doing it in a big circle. How, how was that physically and mentally, I guess? Honestly. It was harder than the Ironman. I remember around mile 33, 34, 35, somewhere in there, I was thinking, oh my gosh, I would easily do a hundred more Ironmans before I do another. (laughs) Oh, incredibly hard and boring. And why in the world am I doing this? I just a whole bunch of different things went through my mind. Yeah. So um, it was, it was very challenging Hmm. and I remember it's funny. So just going through it, you know, I was getting to New Year's Eve and sometime around mile 50, I was like, okay, if I get to a hundred miles, I'm going to get a tattoo. <laughs> I didn't really think about it. I did 50 miles in like nine hours and 50 minutes. And I was like, okay, there's still a possibility I can make it. And so at mile 75, it was right before midnight. I realized like, Oh shoot. I'm going to make it a hundred miles in less than 24 hours. I better, I better keep going. And there's no excuses. And I'm going to have to get this dang tattoo now. Cause I'm a person of my word. I'm not going to lie to myself. <laughs> that's my word. Yes, that's exactly it. Um, <laughs> yes. So unfortunately that was that. Yeah. Um, and so I made it and I ran for all but 10 miles of the hundred miles. Okay. So when I got to about mile 92, cause I ran, I walked one mile a couple times earlier to, with friends. And then when I got to about 92, I realized, okay, I am not trained to run anymore. I am, my endurance has gone out. So now it's time to walk. Yeah. And my prize to myself, if I made it to hundred miles was that I would get a banana and load it with peanut butter. And so when I made it to hundred miles, I did that and I ate while I continued another loop. And then when I got done with that loop, I was like, okay, well, I'll do another one. I have, an, I have time. So, yeah. Nice. Nice. Uh, so uh, the big question everybody wants to know now, uh, what's the tattoo? So, yeah, of course. So it's three rings. If you imagine the, the Olympic rings, it's mm-hmm. three. So in one of the rings, it's a runner girl and it says 2013. Okay. In the other, it's the classic Iron Man person, 140.7. And then the last ring, it's um, 26.2 miles, 50K and 100 miles. So nice. yeah, yeah. All done in one year and my crazy year. Nice. That's awesome. That so what what a cool experience. One of the things that that I think that we I don't know relish in in running a hundred miles is you discover a lot about yourself. Um, and it sounds like you pretty early on in that you were hitting, I guess the the pain cave. You know the 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 dark place, and you've got to make a decision there on what you're going to do because you can stop. There's nobody telling you, you have to keep going. I mean, they tell you you should, but you know, you have to will yourself to keep moving. Um, was that a pretty, 
I don't know. Did you, what did you learn about yourself during that first 100 miler? Um, I learned a lot about obviously mental strength mm-hmm. that so much of our life is about pushing through all this resistance that we have inside us. So we have, we face resistance, whether it's a physical resistance, hormonal resistance, just plain being stubborn. I just don't want to do it, but our bodies have a lot more potential than we realize or tap into on a daily basis. And I realized at that point, when you do an ultra marathon, you live a full life cycle during that race. And part of it is being prepared to go through that whole life cycle during that race. And I wasn't prepared for it because I didn't experience that so much in a 50 K or even in the Ironman. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a hundred miler, I experienced that the, I love life. I hate life. I'm sick. I feel great. I want to die. How can I kill myself? Um, how can I love on everyone? Oh my gosh, this is the best thing in the world. Why am I doing this? Like you go through the whole entire lifespan of, of, of yourself and you still come out of it. And there's something just so precious about coming out on the other end and realizing, wow, like, like, we can do things that we really didn't know Yeah, we could, like we can really push ourselves and it's incredible. So, yeah, I love that. I, and I, I, it opens your, it opens your, your mind up to, to the, to what's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's pretty phenomenal that you went from, because, you know, for an Ironman, you, you're, you're covering quite a few miles, um, you know, but you are not running that many, <laughs> you know, you're covering them different, different ways. How was the, um, uh, was it worth it? Uh, you know, when you crossed the, the hundred and got your buckle, was it worth it? Oh, absolutely. Uh, all I really cared about that time was the banana and peanut butter, but <laughs> was awesome too. you were worried about the buckle. You were worried more about the banana. <laughs> all I cared about was that. Cause I had restricted myself from eating those. So I was like, okay, if I'm going to run this far, might as well eat something that I really want that, who cares if I have a stomach ache now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, so you've made you've made a a, a, a couple of times. You talked about your your you don't eat a, a lot of sugar, or you know talked about your. So how do you eat uh, normally? What's your di- normal diet? And then um, how do you feel yourself when you're doing these endurance for your Ironman and for for the hundred miler? So I'm I'm plant based. Okay. I've- plant-based since 2014. So at the time, my first hundred, I was not plant-based unless okay. it was, um, and you know, for quite a few, most of the ultras, I was, um, plant-based and even most of the marathons I was plant-based. And so for, for basically for the ultras, I lived on potatoes, potatoes and pickles. Okay. For my go-to occasionally if I had had stomach issues, I would get a tortilla. So it just kind of absorbs some acids and fill me up. Um, but the potatoes were definitely a staple. The other thing that I did too were dates. Huh. Era Viper running always had dates out and yeah. that would help boost my energy levels when I needed it. But I didn't, I'm not a caffeine person and I didn't ever use caffeine. So occasionally I do j- the goo gels or mm-hmm. whatever gels are out there. Um, and then alternate between water and whatever electrolyte drink they have. But I didn't do any chocolate or M&Ms or occasionally a pretzel, but um, I didn't go with any heavy solid foods because I knew I my digestive tract wouldn't tolerate it. Yeah, that's pretty. It's, when you said uh, the dates, uh, there was a guy, um, the fruitarian was, I don't even know his real name. I forget his real name, but he would, he, he'd run ultras and do really well, but, and he would show his he'd open his trunk and it was just fruit. <laughs> just he told he just ate a bunch of fruit and dates were one of his go-to. Cause I guess, you know, they're small and you can, you know, you can pack them with you if you need to. And uh, so, yeah, he believed in the power of the dates. They, they're high in potassium. So oh, okay. all the sodium, so potatoes are good for potassium. So are dates. And so then if you're dipping your potatoes in salt or you're having some kind of salty snack, you need the potassium to balance it out too. And it's mm. fabulous for that. 
Nice, nice. Yeah, I, I like I like my potatoes. I'm gonna have to try dates. I, I'll have to get that a, give that a whirl. <laughs> my next <laughs> next run. Start easy because they have a lot of fiber, so start easy on them. That's true. Yes. <laughs> no handfuls <laughs> when you start. <laughs> yeah. Make sure you near a porta potty or yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> whichever works <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly um so um so from then on you 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 did other ultras you were still doing marathons what was your uh i don't remember i have your ultra sign up up here what was your other 100 miler um it was the one in the Australia mountains cold water rumble oh yeah okay Arizona. so that that one actually was climbing in mountains and stuff so um that one was interesting because i had run a fast marathon six days beforehand Okay. So I went into it, not painful or anything, but I was a little bit sleepy when I got to mile 60 and on, mm-hmm. I was just like, Oh, I just want to sleep, but yeah. I wasn't painful. It was just, I just run a fast marathon. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> that, that does take some things out of you. So, <laughs> uh, so we, we, we talked about you and, 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 you know, people can look at your, your ultra signup. You, you've run these hundred miles, you've done all these, these, these marathons. And, um, and one of the things that, you know, um, I find interesting is that it seems like your professional life and, and your, um, I guess this hobby, um, there's some things that, that connect here and some things that maybe you can, you can help us with help all the ultra runners that are listening. But one of the things you are the, the, president of PABR Institute. And mm-hmm. what does that stand for? Pain Awareness Breathing Relief. I founded it and started it. All right. Okay. So pain, you know, you talked a little bit about it earlier with breathing and pain relief, and, and this is something we need to know about. So, so, so in a nutshell, what, what is it? And when, how do you practice it? And, um, and you got to tell me about the straw because I, <laughs> I see you on your Instagram. You're holding a straw a lot. So all the time. So what we don't realize is our body, if we kind of take away our filter, put on some filters and you look at the nervous system for everyone out there, we kind of exist either we're on the spectrum of relaxation mode or fight or flight mode. And we're somewhere along that spectrum. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, with modern society, we're more on the high side of the spectrum. We're on high alert or fight or flight freeze mode or fawn mode. Yeah. We hardly ever get back into parasympathetic relaxation. And that fight or flight status causes an impact on our whole body health. It impacts on the way we move, our ability to sprint, our speed, our endurance, our power. It affects everything. And so what I do now with people is teach them how to calm down that fight or flight nervous system. So it releases muscles that have been trained to contract and hold us locked up without our awareness. And what happens is like, let me give you an example. Say I lift up a bucket of water. So I'm lifted up. I can feel my bicep muscle, my upper arm work. I can put the bucket down. I can feel it turn off. That's voluntary control. Let's say I'm sitting here holding up this bucket and all of a sudden I hear a bang and I jump. Yeah. I might have some fear thinking, oh my gosh, is that a gunshot? Okay. If I put that bucket down, my bicep muscle will turn off part way, but I'm still going to have tension in that along with the rest of my body. It's called sympathetic tone. Okay. That is muscles that were told to contract in response to a free fear and an emotional, you know, situation. Mm-hmm. When that happens, my body is going to stay in that fight or flight status until I perceive something differently. So if I look out the window and say, oh, that was a car backfiring. It wasn't even a gunshot. So I can then clear my mind, clear my emotions and clear my intellect that I'm safe. Yeah. And now I can start to work on coming down. And, and, you know, sometimes it takes a while for us to come down off of that. Yeah. What happens is we often don't release the physiological change in our body. So we often don't pause and say, okay, I got to release all those muscles that just tensed up more often than not, we're off on the next thing. And we don't pause and release the muscle tension, that sympathetic tone. And if we don't release it, then our nervous system says, okay, we're going to keep you like that. 
and you're just going to stay like that. And then you go on to the next thing and maybe you have a fight with your boss. Nope. Okay. My stress level just went up. Okay. Muscles tightened more often without my awareness. And this just builds and over time it builds. And those muscles that are contracting start to pull our bones and joints out of position. And let's say you're going for a run and let's say all of a sudden you decide I'm going to go out for a 30 mile run. Okay. And you're out running and you're, you might be tense. You're thinking about things or maybe you're not even trained for it. And so the run becomes now another type of stressor Yeah. and your body that was shifted out of position by all of your other stressors in life. Now you have another physical stressor on top of that. It pulls your bones and your, your skeletal structure out of position just enough that tissues start to butt up against each other. Mm. They start to rub and they start to get painful. And then all of a sudden you have pain. You're like, well, I didn't have an injury where this come from. Mm. Sometimes it happens with people. They go to bed after a stressful event, they wake up the next morning and they're in pain. Sometimes it happens in the middle of a run and that's first time doing a marathon and they go and they do this run and they get into this pain, they're stressed, they're emotional and they stop the race or they finish the race and they can't get their body out of it. And so many of these types of situations are because of this fight or flight status where we can't sense our body shifting into a different position that causes pain. And so that's what I teach people is how to get out of that. So your body's free. So you're free flowing and you can feel the release. So you can run a marathon pain-free or 50 miles pain-free or whatever you want to do. Wow. So, okay. This is really interesting because I, because I, I do coach, um, some ultra runners. And one of the things that I, I, I share with them is, you know, they don't have to share all of their, uh, their life with me, but I, it helps to know when things are going on because, uh, one of the things I tell them is your body perceives whether, okay, you're training, which training is going to put stress on your body, physical stress. But when you've got think other things going on in your life, like you said, fight with your boss, something's happening, somebody's sick, all these other things, your body just interprets it all as stress. And so that heaped on top of training and it just helps, you know, me to guide them as, you know, when things are going on with, you know, maybe we need to shift some training, we need to move some things around because you've got all this stress heaped on top of each other. And so um, this is really interesting to me because, you know, this, this is, these are some, these are tools, you know, and this is, sounds like a tool that people can use to help, relieve some of that. And, and, you know, honestly, I think back on, you know, my, you know, I've got wife and kids and job and I'm training and I've got a podcast and I'm coaching and, you know, I got all these things and they, 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 when you said something about, you feel the the tightening or sometimes I just feel like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm a rubber band about to pop. So I, I can relate to that. And, um, so this, this is really, really interesting. And I think this is, I don't know. I think this, this can help <laughs> lots of people. So, yeah. So what do you, how do you, how do you, when, when, you know, how do you approach this with, with people and, and, um, and teach them to, to deal with it and, and, and specifically, you know, both, I guess in life and then how do they use this in, in running? Yeah. So I work with people on zoom I mm-hmm. have all over the world, okay. so all over the world. And what we go through is, I observe a lot of a person's motions and movements, and I'm not looking for what does your stride look like or anything like that. It's what is your nervous system doing when you walk, when you bend over, when you lift something, when you reach, when you squat, what is your nervous system doing? Cause that's really what matters hmm. is I need to know how ramped up your nervous system is and do your patterns of movement cause the nervous system to stay more ramped up. For most people, yes, especially most runners. So this posture that we're taught, the Superman posture, chest out, shoulders back, suck up your gut, kicks you in your fight or flight nervous system. It's going to lock you up. You're going to lose mobility and flexibility when you do it. Really? Absolutely. And because if you think about it, when do we want to wake up? When when we're want to ramp ourselves up, we stretch and we open up our chest and we put our arms back because we kick in the back muscles that wake us up. Mm-hmm. When 
you want to sprint at the end of a race, you throw your chest out, shoulders back, and then you sprint because doing that motion causes the back muscles to compress in the fight or flight nervous system. All of a sudden you go into fight or flight mode. Mm. But if you want to do a long distance race, you can't be in there. You can't be in fight or flight mode based on your body position Mm. for more than a couple minutes. It goes against human, human anatomy and physiology. Yeah. The thing we have to do is I work on changing the way people hold themselves and that will then change the way they breathe so that their breathing mechanism actually is through the diaphragm, not lifting up the rib cage. Mm. So we take, pe- take people away from lifting up the rib cage. We take away this idea of belly breathing, which is not diaphragmatic breathing. We get people into using their diaphragm so their body can relax and calm down. So their rib cage drops down. So now when they move, it's their shoulder blades and hips that are moving on this body that's free flowing, but stable. And so now their breathing matches a body that's no longer in full fight or flight mode. And so that's when the power comes. And that's when people can get themselves out of pain. The more your chest is up and your shoulders are back and you're sucking up your gut, you're locking yourself into fight or flight mode. So it is, it will be hard for you to sense muscles release to get you out of the impingement that's causing you pain. Wow. Okay. So, so that's, that's working on, on during the run. So I have a question because, so you said, um, it's not chest, not into your chest and not into your belly. So it's in between because, <laughs> because I've never, I've never really, I've always, it's kind of either or, so this is different for me. You want to breathe into your lungs. You don't want to mm-hmm. breathe in your chest. You don't want to breathe into your belly. Yeah. Breathing into your belly is just abdominal distension. You're just telling your abdominal muscles to shove out. It's true. Yeah. If you want to breathe into your lungs, your diaphragm needs support. That support comes from your rib cage being down and supporting the sides of your diaphragm. If you are breathing in and sticking your belly out, you're lifting your rib cage up so the diaphragm doesn't get support. So it's not going to be as effective. So it's a whole, we shift, we have to shift the way you breathe. So you can just feel your, your hips and your pelvis just let go. Huh. And so like the coyote and the road run runner, you know, the road runners running and the legs are just moving and the body is just in this calm status and it feels great. Huh? Okay. That that's, that's, that's awesome. That's interesting. You know, I normally don't think about my breathing a whole lot while I'm running, but tomorrow morning, I'm going to be like, where am I breathing? <laughs> just, just thinking through it. Um, so, so that helps you. So, so that during your running and, and I'm sure there's a, a, you know, a process with that. So, I, you know, I'm, I think in pictures, so I'm picturing you in a zoom call and somebody just picking things up, putting things down and, you know, you just. No, just, that's just for the evaluation. I yeah, have to yeah. And then we start going into different positions. Usually we're starting off in putting them in a safe position where they can feel relaxed and we retrain their, the way they hold their rib cage, the way they breathe, and then the way that they stabilize their body. So if you're used to this chest out, shoulders back, your back muscles are used to being on, and that's how you generate stability. So we have to train you. Okay. How do you use your thigh muscles to stabilize you and your shoulder blade muscles to stabilize you so your back can relax so you can gain rotational mobility again? And so I put people in different positions, sometimes on the side, sometimes on the back, sometimes on the hands and knees, sometimes standing. There's a whole progression of it. It's, it's an actual progression to move people forward. It's not just, okay, you're going to learn how to breathe off we go. Yeah, it's yeah, actual, yeah. we have to get you to feel things differently mm-hmm. in order to do that. We have to put you in a safe place, which is usually on your back or you're supported somehow before you can do it standing. And then before you can implement it running. Okay. So, um, it, it almost sounds like, like th- th- what they teach you normally about your posture, you know, just th- what, what good posture is, is probably not what's best for your, your, your breathing. <laughs> it's not just, good for your health. No, it goes okay. beyond, it goes for your joints, for your health, for blood flow. It goes for everything, heart rate, all of that blood so pressure. E- so even how they teach you to sit at a computer a lot, of, I mean, cause that's basically, you know, shoulders back and, and straight and, um, 
Yeah. Okay. That is interesting. But if you think about it, who taught you that? Well-intentioned people like your parents, did mm. they have a degree in studying anatomy and physiology? Most people no. don't. We're just taught. Someone told us that, or, you know, someone taught me that. And yeah. No one has a name. Yeah. Well, okay. My parents or my teacher, but who, who taught them? It's just, we are somehow taught that we're supposed to be at the one extreme range of motion for our back. Mm. We're not supposed to exist at one range. Right bodies are designed to be able to go both extremes. But if we're sitting in one extreme, especially with your chest out, shoulders back and gut sucked up, you're going to lock yourself up. And that's damaging to your body. So many people stress, anxiety, and panic all because they hold themselves in that one extreme. I mean, even kids, kids with ADHD that I've seen too, who work with them as well, Mm -hmm. chest out, shoulders back, suck up their gut. And guess what? The body now thinks it's in fight or flight mode. And so eventually your mind gets set that way too. And then we have trouble with focus and attention and we have all these things going on and our stress just gets higher and higher. Mm. It's, it's really scary because we've lost the ability to be kind of balanced and neutral and to go into the extreme. If we need to, if I'm sprinting and getting out of a burning building, yeah. oh yeah, this is going out shoulders back. I'm sucking up my gut and I'm going <laughs> to haul out of the as quickly as possible. I don't want to exist that way the rest of my waking hours. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and our, yeah, just thinking of all the, because of the stress we, we live in, it, it affects every, you know, all that adrenal, everything. It's just, it's, it's, it's not good. So we need ways to release that into, I don't know, just the way you talk about, you know, flowing in running, because we've all experienced times where we just flow, but in, in living, that's, that's a good thing, you know, just to, to be, comfortable in your own body and, and, and not live with chronic stress, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. So what do you, um, so you deal, you deal with those, with all those, uh, with positions, uh, getting people to, to, to breathe, right. To, to feel right. And then, um, do you deal with after a race because a race, uh, or even training, a training run, all those, those are, those are, even if you're, um, I would assume, even if you're breathing right, holding yourself right, those are still stressors on your body. Your body's in into a mode, especially when you race. And um, are there things you do after a race or a competition that can help you kind of release that to get get your body ready to, I don't know, comfortable and begin healing? Absolutely. So it's right after a race, you want to calm your nervous system down as quickly as possible. So many, many marathons, as soon as I cross over the finish line, I find the quickest pole or fence I can. And I squat down and I squat down into a bowl and I just sit there and I lean back on my arms. I just sit there and work on the breathing technique I teach. And I just sit there for a few minutes until I can feel this wave of everything, just letting go, calming down. And then I pop up and I walk normally. Wow. Um, okay back to normal and let me go get my race bag and go get some food and back to normal but it's that's important and and i'll even do that several times throughout the day i mean there's more that i do but that's a quick thing that i recommend everyone do and i've run many races in the middle of an ultra and i see someone struggling like okay or come here and squat with me and do this and they'll, I'll say, do that for the next couple of minutes and then I'll keep running and then they'll catch up with me or whatever else seem later. Oh my gosh, that works. So, well, that's, yeah. that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Or I guess even in the middle of a race too, cause we have those, those times where we can't, I don't know where we feel, I guess those dark places, it's a tool to help you, you know, get your body where it needs to be. Cause everything hurts and you're dying. <laughs> you know, that's what it feels like. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that, that, that's, that's pretty awesome. And I guess, um, so you noticed the difference because you, you, um, when you first, you said when you first started running, you didn't know these things or you weren't using these things and compared to, you know, after you began to incorporate this into your own, uh, Mm -hmm. running, uh, I'm assuming you still, you you could tell the difference because you keep doing it. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. In 2000, gosh, what was that? 2000 and 14 when I started playing with this. So right after I ran that first hundred miler, a two months to the day, I had a a race to try to qualify for Boston and um, I made it and I was just experimenting with this. And so I, it was like a three thirty three. And so then I was like, okay, I'm going to really play with my breathing. I'm not going to change any other training. I'm just going to play with my breathing. 
And that was in March. And then in June, yeah, June, I ran grandma's and I had knocked seven minutes off my time. Wow. And then in October, I ran um, St. George's race and I knocked another seven minutes off. No other changes. It was just like, okay. And I've tested this so many times. And I think in 2016, I decided to run a marathon and hadn't really trained that much, but did a 326. And then a couple weeks, two weeks later, I did a 329. And then a couple weeks after that, I did another 329. And I was like, and I wasn't really doing that much training. I wasn't doing all my strengthening routine, but I just experimented with calming down the nervous system. And I realized the more I could do that, the more I could have just a nice turnover in my legs and it could keep me out of speed that I hadn't practiced a ton. Wow. That's, that's, that's pretty awesome. Do you, um, so the, I know you're, you know, there's a lot to it and you're focusing on where you're breathing and, um, but what about, um, do you do work on like during a race, I guess, uh, how rapid you're breathing, how deep you're breathing, all that's part of the, the process. Yeah. So when I'm doing, when I'm in the middle of a race, mm-hmm. I don't think about the breathing right away. If I'm okay. nervous beforehand, I'll use the breathing to calm me down. Mm-hmm. But I just go into the race and I just start jogging and I'm just, I'm just running yeah. and I'm taking in the sights. I'm just enjoying the journey. And then what happens is let's say, okay, eight miles or 16 miles into it. I start to feel like I'm tightening somewhere. Okay. Yeah. And I'll pull in the breathing at that point. So let's say, let's say I'm starting to have left knee pain from the knee. I will specifically blow out and hit my left heel on the ground to sense my left hamstrings activate. So I can then go from there and the pain goes away within a couple of minutes, because what I'm doing is I'm using the breathing to calm down my body. And then I'm going to activate something so that the part that was pulling me abnormally releases with the breathing mm. But I'm also rewiring my nervous system because I'm focusing and activating another muscle. And because I'm breathing at the same time, that resets the nervous system. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. No, that's, this, this, this sounds so applicable (laughs) to ultra running because we run miles and miles with, with pain. And a lot of times we're not sure what to do with it. I think some, some of the things might be slightly instinctual because I've been through where I've had issue with like a calf and I'm like, this hurts really bad. This, this is like a race ending thing. And I try to calm myself down and think, okay, this will pass. And, you know, you know, not, not realizing maybe that's what I'm doing. And it, you know, a few miles down, down the trail, it's completely gone. And it, it like, it baffles my mind that our bodies can, adapt and, and fix those issues. But like, it feels literally like a, a race ending issue. And then it's don't feel it again. It's <laughs> you are doing exactly that. So what you're doing in that time, you're, you are calming yourself down to free up your muscles. And we want to get you to that point where you feel things just let go. Mm, yeah. And that will allow your muscles to get back into their normal pattern of movement. And so the irritation that developed can calm down. And I've used this, I did Zane gray in 2015. I did it six days after Boston and I'm in mile 40 and I'm running and I didn't see a stump and I tripped over, you know, tripped and went flat forward and I landed on my right knee and it bust open bleeding and everything. I'm like, okay. So I got up. And I just was like, okay, I got to calm myself down. Obviously I am emotional and I'm, you know, I'm upset. I'm trying to beat the 14 hour imaginary cutoff in my head. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I just was like, okay, I just have to calm down. I just have to calm down. So I practice the breathing and I just stood still for a second, calm myself down. Then I started breathing and walking and I said, okay, I have to release everything that will allow me to go back into a normal walking pattern because our nervous system is going to kick in and go into protective mode, which means bending that knee, bringing it towards your chest, your hip flexors kick in. You just want to limp. So I said, okay, nope, nope. I'm going to focus on my heel striking, get my hamstring active, allow my leg to go behind me. So my hip flexors open up 
and I'm just going to breathe through it. And then within a few minutes, I was back to running and doing that. And so for the next mile or two, I just focused on, okay, calm, Mm -hmm. calm, release, calm and release. And by the time I got to the end, I was sprinting again with a bloody knee. Nice, nice. You, you, man, so many applications. Um, a good a friend of mine, and we were running um, um, a Love It 100 and we missed a turn right at about mile eight toward the beginning. And we were, you know, we we're both trying to win this. This is we're, we're in content, you know, and we, we went probably about a mile out, you know, and then realized it and then turned around and came back. And we did two different things. I said, We've got to call. Okay. What's done is done. This is the beginning of the race. I have to run. We have to run our race. And I told him that I said it out loud, just, just, and he got nervous and took off and ended up, uh, pulling a groin muscle running down, you know, he just stayed tensed up and he ended up being in first place, but then he ended up, uh, having to drop. He was in first place for a little while and having to drop. And, you know, I was able to continue on. And I remember doing that. And I remember feeling that like, okay, I have to, I can't let this work me because at first I started running really fast, you know, uh, I got to catch up. And I was like, no, no, this is early. I, I, I can, I need to do what I can do. And I have a lot of ground to cover. So, and then it just kept moving. And, and so that's kind of shows maybe the difference there of, you know, two different ways you can handle a situation and two different outcomes. So, uh, man, that's, that's good stuff. <laughs> it's, and it's neat because it's great because it's empowering. Yes you realize that you have more control of your nervous system and how it influences whether or not you have pain or if you're flexible, you're mobile, if you have speed, once you realize that you have this tool and you can play with your own body in this way, it's so empowering. And then all of a sudden you just want to start testing it. You're like, yeah. okay, I need to test this and see if it works on this situation. And it's fun. And because when you learn it, no one can take that away from you. It's an internal change. It's not like you have to keep coming to see me to say, okay, um, I need you to stretch me again. You learn how to release it yourself. Yeah. As long as you practice and you can, you can absorb that sensation. No one can take that away from you. Mm. I mean, it's so much fun to see people start to play with it. And they're like, guess what? I just came back and I use this in my golf swing, or I use this on this, you know, tough mudder race or whatever it is. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing that someone's life just changed. And all I'm doing is guiding them. It's it's something that they have in them yeah. that we find. And I'm just saying, okay, let me show you the way. And then now you take over. Well, I can see application even in life because, you know, like you said, work is stressful, you know, and you just have a terrible meeting and you go back into your office and calm yourself down, <laughs> especially before you go home to your family. You know, So, yes. yeah. You can use it. I mean, sometimes I don't even work with people with pain. They just have anxiety or stress, or sometimes people want to be able to speak on a stage and they just need to be calmed down or they have sleep issues. I mean, it's often, I'd say half of the people I work with don't have any pain and they just need it for daily life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know that, you know, you, you gave a, a rough, uh, there's a, there's a lot to it and we just scratched the surface, but for people who, who are, are interested, I'm definitely interested <laughs> and want, want to know more and want to, um, you know, um, just learn this tool and put this in their tool belt for running and for life. Uh, what's their next step? How do they get in touch with you? And, um, and yeah, how do you do that? Uh, so I love to meet people and I love to talk and, and just get to know people. So I say, send me an email, Amy, A-M-Y at paberinstitute.com. Okay. We can set up a free 15 minute consult and we can, you know, chat a little bit to see what your needs are. Some people want just free resources and I'm like, okay, let me direct you here, here, and here. Um, some people want to be, you know, just tell me what to do and then we can work one-on-one. So I'd like to meet people where they're at. There nice. are many that I that come through, you know, and they never work with me one-on-one. That's okay. Mm-hmm. It's what type of person are you? What do you have time for? What are your needs? And we can talk about that and figure that out. That's great. That's, that's, I, I love it. And it is amazing with technology, you know, I, and I have runners, I coach from all over the world and um, you can, you can meet people and help people all over the world, you know, through, through technology. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, I'll, yeah. Well, I want everybody to know. Um, I'll, I'll have in the show notes and on the page that I put for the podcast. If you follow the the, the link, I'll have uh, I'll have 
Amy's uh, links there, your email address, uh, your website, and um, yeah, and they can get in touch and you know let let her know you you heard on the Run the Riot podcast and uh, and uh, she'll be glad to 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 help you and uh, you know after I quit we cancel or stop the recording you and I'll talk too I need, I need, we need to fix some stuff Amy <laughs> glad to help absolutely. All right. Well, uh, is there any, anything, Oh, when, when are you, when are you racing again? What's your next race? Um, I haven't planned anything out. I, um, what are we in 2022? I'm looking at, at the end of the year, I've been traveling a lot lately all around the country and sometimes out of the, out of the country. So I haven't had anything on the agenda yet, but I'm looking towards the end of the year. Okay. Okay. You, are you looking for a, a marathon or an ultra marathon? What you thinking? Just curious. Probably a marathon. Um, I ha- I kind of want to do just get into a marathon again, knock off one of the more states. You know, I'm doing the whole 50 state thing. And oh, I didn't realize that. Cool. Okay. So I kind of want to get another one of those and in and just a couple places that I haven't been. So probably nice. one of those. All right. So, Hey, real quick, you should, you're traveling. Are you just, um, are you traveling, um, with, Oh, I did see on your Facebook. I need to bring this up. I know, I know we're getting close to, to time here, but I saw that you, uh, were at something with Zig Ziglar's son. And it's funny because I'm reading a John Maxwell book right now and he he's quoted Zig Ziglar quite a bit in it. So I've been reflecting on him. So it was just kind of a neat connection that I, I read some of his quotes this morning and then you were at this thing with his son. Is that some of the things you're doing when you're traveling? <laughs> Yes. So I was, uh, I was with Tom Ziegler at a mastermind event. And so he was presenting and I often presented these masterminds as well. So amazing man. And, you know, we got a copy of his book and stuff and got to chat, but, um, so that's, that's why I've been traveling lately. I travel around the country for different speaking events and a different mastermind groups where I present. So, yeah. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Get, get to it. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. It's hard, you know, when you're growing a business and you're trying to get this message out, sometimes you kind of have to ebb and flow with right now is a push time for my business. And I'm um, really getting this information out there because I know how much it can help people. So my running has taken a back burner and, you know, I still run daily four to five miles, but I just haven't done any long runs. And in 2020, I ran a marathon after doing just four mile runs every day. And I did it. I could pull it off. So that's why I'll put something at the end of the year, just in the middle of my travels. Yeah. We, we talk a lot about on the podcast, just about balance, you know, you, and there is an ebb and flow and there are seasons and there are some seasons where you have to back off of the running and the racing to take care of family things, take care of career things and work things. And that's just life. And, uh, but it's, it's there, you know, and it's a part of, you know, who you are and, and you're running, you're still running. You just, you know, not racing as much. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, well, Amy, I'll thank you. Back. You what? You what? Say again. I'll be back on those races. Don't worry. Nice. Nice. Well, you know, I hadn't raced in Arizona yet. I need to, uh, I need to, um, just, yeah, just hadn't done it. I, well, I did, I did do, I did run the grand Canyon rim to rim to rim, but I haven't ran a race. <laughs> <laughs> well, <get on> over. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Amy, thank you so much for, for sharing. And, uh, you know, I, I encourage everybody to, to check it out. I think this is a, it's a good tool for everybody to use. Thank you. Thank you so much. 